been powerful working in us. And we ask for it to do its work again this morning. As we look back, as we try to tie together, God, uh, I ask that your Holy Spirit may be directing us, may be speaking, may be, may be uh, uh, teaching, instructing us according to your word. Give us understanding where we need it. Give us reinforcement where we need it. Give us correction where we need it. May your word equip us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to jump in and make just a couple of comments. The first, uh, I want to just address the first couple of verses there because there's, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time with them, but, but Paul closes. Actually, this is one of the shorter closes. If you read Paul's letters, this is one of the shorter closes he has. He typically uh, is going through and listing a whole bunch of people that he's saying, uh, greet these people, greet these people, greet this person, greet this person, and also often uh, greetings from this person and from this person and from this other person. Here he gives basically a one-verse I think it's actually maybe two verses here, uh, but it's uh, one sentence, I should say. He says, this man, Tychicus. Now, you could spend some time. It's not really going to be necessarily earth-shattering as we do it, so we're not going to spend time this morning, but you could spend time digging in. This man is actually mentioned several times. If you would read Acts chapter 20, I think it is, the opening verses there, it's in the conclusion of Paul's time in Ephesus when he plants a church, and he leaves, and it lists a whole bunch of people, and they're from different areas. One of them, or actually a couple of them, are listed as being from Asia, and one of them being this man, Tychicus. So he left Ephesus with Paul when Paul left. Paul spent time in Ephesus. He planted a church. They actually spent a number of years there, several years there, and was instructing them. He's putting elders in place. And then they have this big riot. Um, and they, remember this, I don't know if you remember the scene. They're, they're shouting for hours on end, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They think that, uh, that Paul is, uh, well, not they think, he is actually uh, influencing and undercutting their great business of, to this uh, shrine of Diana. And, uh, and so he leaves, and a whole bunch of people leave with him, Tychicus being one of them. It doesn't say, ever say it specifically that I could find, but the implication I think we have here is that Tychicus is actually from Ephesus. He's an Ephesian. He goes with Paul, travels with him, spends time with him. He is the man that Paul, after he's written this letter, is going to send back to, uh, to Ephesus and uh, he's going to not only bring this written word, this letter that we've read, uh, he's not only going to bring that written word, but he's going to bring verbal greetings uh, from Paul, and he's going to let them know how things are, what's going on, all those things. I want to say much more about that, except for the intention. I, I love how Paul is very specific, right? He doesn't just leave it and say, hey, this guy that you know is going to come back, and he's going to carry this letter, and we're going to go from there. I've said what I need to say. We're going to wrap it up. He's very intentional, right? He says... I want you to know how things are going, but I want this to be for your encouragement. I want this to be for your encouragement. I want news of what's happening in other places, of what God is doing in other places, and what he's doing through other people. I want it to be for your encouragement. It gives me a, it gives me a glimpse that we, that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to do exactly those kind of things, to testify to what God is doing, to be aware of what God is doing in other places, and to hear of how God is working through other people, and to allow that to encourage us. There's a little phrase there, again, just little things that we can pull out of God's word. A little phrase where he says, Tychicus, look what he calls him. He calls him a beloved brother and faithful minister. A beloved brother and faithful minister. Now just stop for a moment. You're not, you're not all males here this morning, so maybe not those parts of the words, but think of the words beloved and faithful. And think of when you arrive at the end of your life and you look back, and if you were to have an opportunity to give a, a, a poll or some kind of survey of people that know you, 
Would they use words like that? Would you want them to use words like that about you? Beloved and faithful. I'll tell you, that's why there's encouragement that comes from those kind of conversations, as it comes from people that are beloved and faithful. Well, I told you I won't spend much time with that. I want to plant the seed. I think it's, uh, it's what I want people to say about me when I'm, I mean, I want them to say it about, it now, about me now, not just when I'm there at the end, but they won't say it about me at the end if it's not true now, right? Right? That's a total aside, but Heidi and I have these conversations all the time. We both want to be known as sweet. You know, you meet some old people, they're just sweet old people, right? They're just kind. Everybody wants to be around them. And we talk about that all the time because we want to be like that. But we also know that if we want to be sweet old people, it probably has a huge, the implication is huge for who we are right now because it's only what's coming out of us, what's inside of us, right? When you get old, the filter comes off sometimes, right? This is way not on topic, but it's, it's, I think it's pertinent. It's true, right? Like most of us here in this room are in a phase of life where we can do a really good job of like filtering what comes out of us. We may think things or feel things, but we know we're not supposed to say those things out loud or we shouldn't come across this way, so we try to, we try to filter things. And it's true when you're little. Do you ever think about that? Kids say exactly what they think, don't they? It's going on in their head, it comes out of their mouth. You know what? You ever met old people? It's pretty much the same. Right? They think and it comes out of their mouth. What does that mean? You know, we can chuckle about that, but what does that mean? That means what Jesus said is true, what's on the inside comes out. And when you're in the middle, you can, we can often try to cover some of those things. I didn't finish what I said because the opposite of the sweet old lady or the sweet, the kind old man is the cranky old person that's shaking their finger at the neighborhood kids and wants them to get off their property and off my porch and stop acting like that and gets all, right? We know those people too. Which do you want to be like? And whichever one you want to be like, I'm suggesting to us that that means something should be taking place now. Because it's not like you're suddenly going to want to be nice when you're 70 if you don't want to be nice when you're 60 or 50 or 40 or 30. Right? Jesus said these words too. He said that everything will be exposed. Everything that was hidden will be exposed. And I think, I mean, there's more to it than just that. So I don't want, I don't want to take his statement entirely out of context. But part of that, I think, is the motivations of, and the, the things that are happening inside of us. So when we get older, the, the, the filter comes off, right? And so you see what's on the inside. I want to be known as a beloved and faithful, a beloved brother and faithful minister. I want to take those words to heart myself. And I suspect many of you also want to, and I'm just telling you that it has to be true for us now, if it's going to be true of us then. I want to look at these three words, peace, love, and grace. They're words that I opened up the sermon or the series on Ephesians with, and they're words we're going to close the series on Ephesians with. When you look back at the very beginning of the letter of Ephesians, this is what Paul wrote. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I opened up uh, the series, I pointed out that he doesn't actually say the word love in this case, although love shows up very early in the chapter one, and he says it here at the end. He began with those words. 
He fleshed them all out in this letter, and now he ends with these words. He says some of the same things, right? He says, peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and his Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Peace and love and grace, three humongous words in our Christian vocabulary, three words that we use all the time, three words that I think we lose sight of sometimes of what they actually mean. And we lose sight of the effect they're supposed to be having in us. They're words that we sometimes assume because we're very well familiar with them and we can say all kinds of things about them and we know what they're supposed to mean. We, we forget of how it actually works out in our, in our lives or how it's supposed to work out in our lives. And Paul, again, he opens up with those words. He spends a lot of time. We're going to track this through the, the letter today. He spends a lot of time with each of those words and he comes through and he fleshes them out and he's going to come right back down to the end and he's going to say, I'm going to close with how I opened Peace be to you. But before we get there, I was captured by one little phrase there yet that I want to sneak into before we do some work summarizing the letter. See that last phrase there? He closes with something that I think is, I mean, it's scripture. So it's not a surprise I say things like this. But I think it's masterful. In its own little way, there's a little nugget at the very end that I think represents the entire thrust of the letter. Grace be to those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Incorruptible. The Greek word, there's the word aftharsia, which you don't need to know that word. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know when, that, when he's, he's this, this com, maybe not convoluted, but apparently complicated discussion about when the, when the mortal puts on immortality, when, the, when what's perishes puts on what's imperishable, this whole phrase about our resurrected bodies, that's the word. He uses the word aftharsia. He says, when the mortal is clothed with immortality, aftharsia, when it's no longer going to die. So this word means unending. It means eternal. It means love without end. Grace to those who love Jesus without end. And that's exactly the, the, the thrust of Scripture, right? When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest command, what did he say? He said, you should love God with all that you have. You should love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two commands, right? Remember the scene after Jesus goes to the cross? He's denied by Peter. He dies. He comes back to life. Peter's like, I'm going back to fishing. They all go back. What's that scene when he comes to the shore and Peter's there? What's the question Jesus asked him? Why did you do it? Are you going to be committed to me now? Are you going to now put your faith in me? What does he ask him? None of those things, right? He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, right? But I'm reminded because this word means never-ending or eternal. It's a God word, right? It's a God word. Because all the things we do, all the commitments we make, all the, all the decisions we were like, we're, we change our mind all the time, don't we? We waver back and forth. We're not, we, we, should, we ought not to, but we do. We're here, then we're there. Even in this, I want us to see that even in the incorruptible love that Paul is exhorting us to have for Jesus, the unending love, even that in itself is something in which we only receive from God when we've been born of him, when his seed comes into us and takes bloom and, and flourishes. In John, it's said this way. It's, it, this is the, the picture of what's happening. To all who receive him, and our quizzers should know this verse, to all who receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of 
blood, nor of the will of man, uh, will of flesh, sorry, nor the will of man, I got those backwards, but of God. Can I just tell you again, so many, not even just so many, all of the things we read about in the book of Ephesians of what Paul is exhorting us to is a high bar, isn't it? It's difficult. It's hard. It's not where most of us are at, quite frankly. And we won't get there without the Lord's help. We won't get there without what the Lord births in us and, and plants in us and his spirit working. And again, may I just say this again, not just in me, but in us, because that's where this letter is written, to, to us, not to, to me, to us. That's what's going to take these things and make them even achievable, possible, on the horizon, that we have a hope for, for achieving. Well, let's look at what some of those broad themes are. You remember that I laid out, that this is, I'm just going to use some things that I actually laid out at the very beginning and revisit them at the end and help us see how they, how they came true. You remember the very beginning I said that there's really kind of two halves to the letter of Ephesians. The first half, Paul spends time with what I call the theology section pretty often, but really what it is, what it is, is an exaltation of Christ. Paul spends time exalting the person of Jesus, declaring the wonderful things that God did for us through Jesus Christ. But even as we soak those things up and receive them, we remember this, this, is, not, this, is, not a, this is not a building up of us. This is an ex exaltation or a glorying of Jesus Christ. He's exalting. He opens it up, in fact. He says, blessed be the Lord Almighty. Uh, I should just read it so I give, give you the... He said, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ and all these... And then he lists all these things that he's blessed us with. But particularly today, I just want to use script... I just want to use the uh, passages from Ephesians to tell you how we see these themes evident. I told you I'm going to use those three words, grace, peace, and love now. Oops, I was afraid that was going to happen when it's perched up there. Those three words, grace, peace, and love. We see that we have found grace in Christ. We cannot ever lose sight of these unmistakable words that are found in the beginning of Ephesians chapter two. Some of the most powerful words in all of scripture when we believe them and take them to heart. Do you remember them? It says this, and you, me, I, we, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. One of the ugliest sentences in all of scripture. But... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. One of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beloved, let us not lose sight or let go of the grace we have received in Jesus Christ. For every one of us, every one of us once walked in darkness. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Right? He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the, high, in the heavenly places. 
so that he might put his immeasurable, the measurable riches of his glory on display. We have found grace in Christ. This is why Christ is to be exalted by us and worshiped by us, and we give everything to him because we have found grace in Christ. Furthermore, we have found peace in Christ. We have found this peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Just a few verses later, Paul goes on to say these words. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, sorry, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Remember he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles in this context. He's talking about that every one of us can be brought and made one in Jesus Christ. In verse 17 now, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. If you want to know what peace means, by the way, if you want to know what the angels meant when they declared glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, if you want to know what that word means in scripture, it's right there in verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. It's a oneness. It's peace with God. It's a oneness, a joining together of us. And this is something we've received in Christ. If you want to know why you should exalt God with all that, uh, exalt Jesus, worship Jesus with all that you have, it's because you have found peace in him. Thirdly, we see that there's love in Christ. Again, these are powerful, powerful words. Just a couple of verses later in chapter three, as Paul continues to unfold and unveil and lift up Jesus Christ, he says this, and we covered this just last week in prayer, but I'm gonna say it again. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, that phrase, all the fullness of God, he's, he's talking about Jesus. He says in chapter one that Jesus is all the fullness of God. So for us to be filled with all the fullness of God is to say he wants us to be filled with Jesus. We have found this incredible love in Christ, a love that goes far beyond anything we've ever experienced, far beyond anything we know, far beyond anything we deserve. But we have it. It's ours in Christ. It's given to you. It's offered to you. It's for you to receive. You have found grace in Christ. You have found peace in Christ. You have found love in Christ. My wife reminded me or just pointed out, I, I, didn't, I shouldn't say reminded, she pointed out to me this morning, I don't know if I should say this or not at this point, but she pointed out to me this morning that a long time ago, Ruby, how long ago was it? Do you know how long ago? She, she didn't want me to mention this, sorry. I shouldn't have pointed this out. A long time ago, when we apparently were looking at some of these verses in Ephesians before, we have someone in our church, Ruby Bontrager, who put those words, this prayer, those words about love, the love we have in Christ, put them to song. Last week, I encourage us to memorize these prayers. And uh, it's a lot easier to do that often when it's to music, right, or to song, when it's in, in lyric. And my wife, I would have forgotten this, my wife remembered, Heidi remembered that she had done this and requested to see if she still had a copy. 
And there's one here this morning. I don't, I, I, I'm not in charge of anything like this necessarily, but I would love if we would become acquainted with that song and sing it together as a church. That would be where I'm at. I've, I don't remember what it sounds like, I don't, but it's the words of scripture. I looked at the, it's the words of scripture put to music. We have received this incredible, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I, this is the thing. We know so much about love. We know God loves us. We, we talk about it all the time. I believe it's still one of the things that we, we, we're not even close to understanding the depth of God's love for us. The love that is ours in Christ Jesus. Look, I mean, he, he tries, right? He says, I want you to try to comprehend how wide and deep and high and long, like every measurement you can give, like how big is this thing? I want you to know it. And then he says, by the way, it's unknowable. You can't even, you, you can wrap your brain around it, but I want you to try. I want it to be true when Christ is in you. So when Paul opens up with these powerful statements of what we have in Christ, the blessings that have been given to us in Christ, this is, again, speaking from a high level now. It ought to make the church ask the question, so what? What do I do with that? What's, what, why are you telling me this? Why did you go to such great lengths and write such incredibly powerful jam-packed sentences full of the grace that we have in Christ and the peace that we have in Christ and the love that we have received in Christ why? What's the point? What am I supposed to do with it? And I remind you again that this so what is written to a group of believers, not to individuals. Of course, we, I, I say this all the time. Like, you have to receive this individually. You, 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 it has to get worked out in our, as individuals and as families and then as a family of families, as a church. But the letter was written, the exhortation, the, the instruction was given, the so what is to us. Paul's very clear about that. It's why he says these kind of words, the, the so what, the aim, the intent of it is found in chapter four. He says, until all of us attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, we've all arrived to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's again using that word fullness, right? In Christ, all the fullness of God dwelt. He's praying that we would be filled with the fullness of, of God, which is Christ, until all of us are filled with that. It, it's the same theme around us. He's introducing it to us. He's held, letting us see that it's available to us, and it's for us to together to do as a church body. And that's very intentional because we fall short of it by ourselves. We spent some time with this. We don't have to go back into it again. But we spent, in fact, in that very text where that's pulled out of, it makes it clear that there's different things he's, he's given to the church, these different gifts, if you want to call it, these, these different motivations or these different ways of looking at things because we need all of them together to be, to experience the growth that we need. I'll tell you an even more importantly, actually, the more important reason was actually stated back in chapter two already when he was talking about peace. And he's talking, remember these together with words we were talking about? He started off by saying we're together with Jesus. But as we're all together with Jesus, that also does something with us. He says we are together with each other. And he used one of those words in this. In Ephesians chapter two, he says, in him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Now again, I wanna be careful here. Because I do believe that God's spirit resides in us individually. But according to the book of Ephesians, the text that we're reading right here, what God is after is that his body, the church, is being built into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That his spirit dwells here among us. 
in us as a body. This prevents any of us from having this some kind of misguided idea that I have arrived, that I'm the answer, that I have all the answers or all the solutions or I know how, to, how everything should be handled because I don't and I'm wrong sometimes and so are you and you're right sometimes and so am I and often things I miss you see and often things you miss I see and I'm speaking in generalities here but that, that's how it works together. Together we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The so what is that if Christ is exalted, if all these blessings have come to us in Christ, the goal of it is that we see Christ in the church then. That Christ is dwelling in the church through the Holy Spirit. So he spends the last part, the last half of the book, talking about what that looks like. Putting, uh, putting leather onto the shoe, if you want to put it that way. What does that look like? And again, in sort of broad phrases, supporting it by passages right from Scripture, right from the letter here, I should say. I believe it looks like walking in Him. He used the word walking. I actually already read one version of uh, one instance of the word walking because he said we used to walk like the world walked, but we don't anymore. We should walk differently. Let me show you how we should walk differently. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Later on in that chapter, he says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitfulness desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In chapter 5 he says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A couple of verses later, he says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And just a couple of verses after that, again, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Paul has a lot to say about how we walk. His intention is the actions in our life, the things we're doing. How we behave matters. I can tell you, I didn't know if I ever pointed this out, but I can tell you, just in those verses I've, I point out to you, we must absolutely come to the conclusion that it would be impossible for a sincere believer in Jesus Christ to somehow think that they can appear one way when they're gathered with the church on a Sunday morning and behave differently during the week. Because the entire thrust of this is how you act matters. How you behave matters. What you do matters. The exaltation of Christ is not just so that we can all put on our Sunday best and look nice and smile and, and look outwardly how we're like, like we're following all the rules when we're together, but it's to affect how we live our lives, actually. And so, we walk in Jesus. We live in him. We live and move and have our being, right? That's what scripture says. We are to walk in him. Furthermore, he recognized that it's not just about what we do individually, but how we interact with each other, because he says that we are to relate 
I just use the phrase relating in him, but we are to relate to each other in Christ. It affects how we interact with each other. We examine all kinds of relationships, right? You remember these. Maybe you weren't a big fan of some of these. Wives, submit to you and husbands as to the Lord. A couple verses later. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. A couple verses later, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. A couple verses later, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. A couple of verses later, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Our interactions with each other are affected by being in Christ. If they're not, then we're not in Christ. Christ is not in us. We are to relate to each other in him. And of course, most recently, we just covered this, so this should be very familiar. It affects or uh, having Christ in the church means that we are standing together. We are standing in him. We just covered these verses over the last number of weeks. But again, in verse 10, chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We are to stand in Jesus Christ. All those things we know, all those things we say yes to, but the so what question keeps resounding, right? Because it will it actually change what we do. That requires decision on our part to lay down our will and say, God, we're going to do things how you ask us to do things. I made this statement at the beginning, and I'm going to make it again today. If we want Christ to be in the church, then the church must be in Christ. Those things go together. If we want Jesus to be here among us, then we need to be in Christ. That word, that phrase in Christ, I didn't write it down again. I saw it in my notes. I didn't write it down again, but it appears a lot of times in this letter. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him, in him. Perhaps you could, if you're so given to this, you could read through the book of Ephesians. It's actually not that long this week and keep track of how many times it says that. If we want Jesus to be here among us, if we want to have, be honoring him with us as a church body, then we have to be in him. We have to keep ourselves in him. Let me tell you again this morning. This is where we're going to end this morning. Even just the verses I read this morning about walking in him, relating in him, and standing in him make it obvious to us that this is tough stuff. It's hard to do. It's a high bar. And I've failed it. I mean, I've failed it as I relate with people. I've failed it in my own walking. I've failed it in standing firm in Jesus Christ, being hidden in him. My guess is you have to. Tucked away in the swing point of this book, I think, is worth reason. It's, it's, the, it's the mountaintop. It's the pinnacle. And Paul offers what I think is this incredibly powerful prayer 
realizing all the things he's just said about who Jesus is and all the things he's about to say about what that means for us is difficult. And when you look at pretty much right in the middle of the letter to Ephesians, these are the words that Paul prayed for them, for us. These are the words that we take to heart this morning when we say, I want Jesus to be here, which means I want to be in him. And it's difficult. But to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Being faithful to Jesus is hard, guys. It'll take everything you have, both in terms of getting rid of yourself, but even just in all the effort and energy you can give. And doing it as a church body is even more difficult. Because there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of relational, there's all kinds of egos, there's all kinds of, I don't see it that way, I see it this way, I'm convicted by this, I'm not convicted by Doing it in the church is even more difficult. We need these words. We need to know that God is able to do far more than we would ever ask or imagine or think. There's a power that brought Jesus out of that grave that is working in us when we allow it to work in us that can accomplish in and through us things that we would never dare to even dream God would want to do in us. But we have to test him at that. We have to be willing to walk in obedience. We have to be willing to surrender ourselves to him and say, I need you. I don't need what I want. It's very possible that what I want is getting in the way. I need to let go of this. I need to hang on to this. I don't know. I, I need to be obedient. And it takes a lot of grace. That's why those words, peace to their brothers, love with faith, grace to all of you who love Jesus. You know, somehow, <laughs> somehow you envision, we all have our ideas, right? Somehow you envision ending things like this with these passionate, loud, mountaintop, And in the end, what I find when I come to the end and when I'm standing here in front of you this morning is the sober recognition that Jesus is worth everything you can give him. And a lot of us aren't there. I want us to be there. I want to be there. And God will and wants to do incredible things through this body with his spirit dwelling in us. But it's going to take a lot of walking in Jesus a lot of putting off of the old self and being renewed in our minds and putting on of the new self. A lot of living as, walking as Christ did and loving and giving ourselves up as a fragrant offering, just as Christ did. A lot of husbands and wives honoring these verses about how they relate to each other and children and parents honoring these verses about how they relate to each other. I missed the one on fathers not provoking the children. I didn't read it this morning. I forgot that. Sorry about that. 
and on how we interact with each other and how we uh, relate and how we walk with each other and how we stand together, how we love. Whether we are walking with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, those are all difficult things. I believe it's what God wants to do to us and for our closing prayer today, I'm inviting you, I would like to invite you to make a decision that you want to walk in Jesus and you want to relate to the church in Christ and you want to stand in Christ with the church together. And as you contemplate that and as you ask for his help in doing that, I want to pray this prayer for you, for us actually. So let's pray together. God, as we have looked at this letter and as we have come and walked through it, and we can't pick out every little thing again, but there's such incredibly powerful statements about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and they blow me away, God. They, they bring me to rejoicing and to gladness and, and strength and power. And at the same time, there's, the, there's the, 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 the revealing of what that asks of me and of us and the realization that, oh God, I've, I have so much ground to cover still. I want to be found in you, Jesus. I want us to be found in you. I want us to be a church that we love each other and it's obvious. That there's a bond of peace. We may not all agree on everything, but there's a bond of peace. There's a glue there that holds us together because we realize there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one spirit. That as we each individually and as we as families are committed to walking in you, Jesus, that it becomes a thing where as a church we're committed to walking in you because there's no other option because we are individually as, a, as individual components. That, that we recognize that I, I recognize that I need my brothers and sisters here to help me walk faithfully and that they recognize the same, that they need the brothers and sisters here to walk faithfully. So that together that we might speak the truth in love with each other, that we might all grow up into the head who is Jesus Christ when each one does its work as he should. I thank you for the parts and pieces that are here in this body. I thank you that you've brought them here. Together we want to be found in you, Jesus. We want to stand in you. We want to relate in you. We want to walk in you, Jesus. We want you to be exalted in us for we understand as much as you've allowed us, as you pulled the curtain back, we understand the grace we have found in you, Jesus. We understand the peace that we have received in you, Jesus. We understand the love that we have access to and that we walk in that roots us and grounds us and fills us up with this, this, this imperishable hope and this love in return for you, Jesus, because we have seen it. We've had it demonstrated. We watch it around us and we've looked to the cross and see the depths that you went to demonstrate how much you love us, Jesus. And we want to exalt you by how we walk and relate and stand. And we recognize how difficult that is. We recognize how much help we need. We recognize that it seems, it seems so far in the distance sometimes but we claim by faith this morning the prayer that Paul offered. We declare this morning because we see in your word, God, that nothing is impossible with you. 
We see in your word, God, that you are faithful to your promises. We see in your word, God, that you will look upon those who are lowly, who are humbled before you, and you will lift them up. You see that we can, we see that we can cast our cares upon you because you care about us. We see that when we turn to you, that you hear our prayer. Your ear is tuned to our prayer when we are righteous before you. We see that you care and you move and you are active. We see that you don't leave us. We see that you will be victorious in the end. We see that Jesus is reigning even now, but someday it will become so crystal clear. We see, Jesus, that you will come back, and when it happens, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Christ, that you are the Lord to the glory of our Father in heaven. And because we see those things, we declare by faith to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God, do this work in us. You can do far more than we can even conceive of, and we want you to. To you, God, who can do that, according to the power that's at work within us, to you, God, be glory in us, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.